letting your life lead your money, not your money lead your life. Because we're letting our life, we're living our life aspirationally, we have to define our, our life first so it can give our money direction. We don't want our, our money to define our life. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-Word. Hello, welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. Well, today I had a fantastic conversation with Dr. Preston Cherry. Before I get into our episode, if you've been enjoying this podcast, and I'm certain you're going to enjoy this conversation with Dr. Cherry, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It really does help. I'd appreciate it. So who is Dr. Cherry? Well, I've seen him online and... His story, his information, his perspective was really intriguing. And this conversation was just, it was just great. I, I, it really resonated with me and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But Dr. Cherry is the founder and president of Concurrent Financial Planning, which is a comprehensive financial planning firm that serves households and businesses across generational lines. In addition, he serves as an assistant professor of financial planning at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. In his planning business, Dr. Cherry specifically partners with individuals that possess the motivation to change so then they can apply that desire to change through his process, which is called life money balance. And throughout this conversation, we talk a lot about this life money balance. And we start off by talking about defining or recognizing and understanding what is our life's blueprint. I found it really insightful that that's the area he starts with is what's your life's blueprint versus how much money do you need to retire or how much money do you need? What's your income? And Dr. Cherry also shares some real life examples of when at moments when his life wasn't in congruency with his aspirational goals, where his two lines, as he calls them, intersect. And I really appreciated his authenticity and his transparency to show that he is human. He has these moments. We also talk about the value of adding financial psychology into our conversations when we talk about money. As he puts it, these are the inputs. The numbers are the easy part to some degree, but understanding why we make decisions, why we feel the way we do about money, those are the hard things to really understand. And he talks about a great exercise that, uh, that he explains, the money egg. So listen for that. We also talk about the power of leisure. In a world that's hyper-focused on productivity, efficiency, sometimes if we're just taking some self-care or enjoying some leisure at certain levels, we might feel guilty of not being productive, not building our future self. So we talk about the value of leisure and we even talk about moonwalking and Michael Jackson and how to just simply engage with ourselves and life. I hope you enjoy this conversation 
with Dr. Preston Cherry. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Preston Cherry. Dr. Cherry is the founder and president of Concurrent Financial Planning, LLC, a comprehensive financial planning firm serving households and business owners across generational lines. Concurrent Financial Planning specifically partners with individuals that possess the motivation to change and apply their financial resources towards achieving their life money balanced aspirations. Currently, Dr. Cherry also serves as an assistant professor of financial planning at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. He also is developing the Center of Personal Financial Planning, which houses financial literacy counseling and education for the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, and high school students at the community Northeast Wisconsin. Preston, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, I listen to it a lot and just happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being on it. Uh, we almost had a whole episode before we recorded. Perhaps we get some more uh, into that conversation about blockchain and algorithms. But before that, as I was reading about you, your work, I noticed that you specifically selected a quote to be on the front page of your website. And that's mm -hmm. from Dr. King. And the mm -hmm. quote goes like this. What is in your life's blueprint, the most important and crucial period of your lives for what you do now and what you decide now may determine which way your life shall go. So my first question is, what is the significance of that quote and why did you choose to put that right on the front page of your website? Great question. It is a significant, when you make a decision to create your life's design, it's that crucial moment when you say, okay, I'm going to begin. It is that moment that changes your life. It is very transformational. It also is that point to where you decide to begin to engage into your plan or into your life's future. You are creating your life's design at that point. It is about starting. So many individuals simply don't start in whatever endeavor that they dream about. It's not necessarily about comparing where you are with someone else. It is simply about, okay, this is it for me. And that quote resonated with me inside and it just came out. So when I saw who else better than, you know, Dr. King, right, to resonate with a quote. And I was like, wow, I had something inside of me. I needed somebody eloquent to say it better. So who else better than Dr. King, right? And there was a point in my life, and there were several points in my life, I'm sure everybody else has had these points too, but to actually act on them. And there was one point to where I said, okay, I indeed want to level up. I want to say, okay, what is next? What is that design? And I would like to go after it fearlessly and, and transformatively. And that's what that's about. That's what that quote is about. And then just and, and starting on it without comparing it to someone else's journey and just simply starting and taking that initial step. And that's what that's about. Thank you. I, I really, really enjoyed that explanation. And you really touch on something that I feel all of us humans struggle with is that idea of, to use your words, starting. The interesting thing I feel about starting, and I certainly speak from personal experience, is starting something that you really care about is hard. It's easy to distract ourselves with the emails, with the to-do list, and you'll eventually get around to whatever you're aspiring to do. And I mean, I could speak for myself on uh, this podcast. I always want to do it. Then it 
pandemic happened, I was at home and I thought, hey, let's try this. Just out of curiosity, do you have a, an example of something that you recently could be whatever many, however many years ago that you decided to start? A lot of things. You know, the business itself, I mean, the concurrent itself what, what was, was one of them going into the, the PhD, starting the PhD. And then I, I, it was that moment, one of those moments. I was transitioning from a job that I was actually doing quite well at. And I was, I was a wholesaler at the time and I was talking to advisors and my financial planning background actually helped talk to advisors because I was understanding their practice very well. So although I was a, a mutual fund wholesaler, I was still using my financial planning skills because I was understanding the advisor at the firm level. But I digress. The point was, is once I transitioned from that, I was like, okay, what is next? I could, that, that blueprint moment. And I said, okay, what is next? And I said, well, should I? It was those moments I was asking myself, should I do this? Can I do this? A little bit of self-doubt. It was all those barriers, I guess, asking all those questions. Could I do this? Should I do this? Is this the right time? And I also said, can I do multiple things at once? Could I aspire to do all of these things? You know, did I have the right to? Did I give myself the permission to do those things? So I gave myself permission to go through what I call my own HSA, well, you know, which is a healthy self audit. You know, we have HSA plans, <laughs> health savings <laughs> accounts, but I'm actually writing a blog on that. So it's a psychology version of HSA, a healthy self audit to say, okay, yes, these are your aspirations. It's going to take some time to get there, but yes, go after them, Preston, you know, and these are the suggestions I give. I suggest for anyone that wants to do that, you know, kind of my dad and my mother always said, you know, get out of your own way. So that was one thing, you know, the PhD and also the firm in of itself. I struggle and I'm sure some other folks struggle with this, but I struggle with beginning. And we, we were just talking about it. We see a reoccurring theme, right? Starting. And that's what I encourage my clients, students, whomever I speak with, advisors that I coach is engaging. You have to engage with yourself in order to start your journey. And what we do as planners or whomever that you're engaging with or coaching or whatever it is, is inspiring others to engage with their self. Because once you're engaged with yourself, you have walked yourself into your own journey. And it's very key. But it's tough for me sometimes to start that initial step. And it's procrastinating that initial step because I'm not necessarily, this is something I struggle with, but knowing this is key. So you can get through it. Because now I, I know I can get through it. But my initial step is because I'm not good at something or I fear of failing it, then I procrastinate on it. So I don't start it. But because I know that about myself, Sean, it took a while. But because I know, I know that about myself, I go ahead and push through those now. I get through them because I know that is something that I struggle with. But now it doesn't hold me back anymore. I go ahead and realize that I have that struggle and get through it very quickly. Lots of good stuff there, Preston. And, you know, this is about you, but you're making me think about myself, my own struggle. <laughs> and you said a key word that our, our phrase, engage with yourself. And, you know, something that I feel like I have struggled with is starting and beginning like everybody. And as a, as a child, not to dive into a, a therapy session here on myself, but uh, as a child, I was always... I felt shy and I, I felt like my voice didn't always matter because I was shy and you perpetuate and much like compound interest that just grows and grows and grows. 
But then I found a way to overcome that and I just pushed through. So then starting wasn't always an issue for me, but I was starting so many things. And Stephen Covey has that, you know, the rock analogy, put the big rock in first. I had like way too many big rocks, but it felt good to start because it was like proving my old story wrong that I can start. But what I was lacking is your, your phrase of engaging with yourself. And this brings me to my, I guess, my next question around the title of your firm is concurrent financial planning, which hit me because I realized I wasn't engaging with myself when I wanted to start. It was like from a, an ego perspective, like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And it wasn't, I wasn't engaging and I failed to do that. And I think this idea, this aspirational idea of congruency, or I want to get your, your thoughts on why you picked concurrent. But from my, my perspective, it's aligning with our values and our actions and our money and so forth. So thank you for uh, helping me think about just that <laughs> own engage with yourself. Because I think it's important when we're starting is why are we doing it? Is it the external things? Is it to impress A, B, and C? Or is it from your authentic self? Let's go to the name of the firm, Concurrent Financial Planning. Why did you pick that? So you picked a, a great word, which is alignment. And in the name concurrent, it is about two items running at the same time. Alignment running in parallel form, okay? Running in partnership. So your life and your money running in alignment, running in parallel partnership, and particularly not intersecting. Because if they're running in alignment, then if you think of two parallel lines, they're not intersecting. Because if they're intersecting, they're going in different directions. So concurrently, meaning running alongside one another, running in alignment, running in the same direction and not intersecting and going in different directions. So this is where concurrently means because your life and money are working at the same time. They're in alignment. So that's where the name came from. And they're running concurrently across the life cycle. It's never ending until we meet our expiration, but they are in alignment. They need one another. And also that's where I coined the term life money balance is letting your life lead your money, not your money leads your life. And because we're letting our life, we're living our life aspirationally, we have to define our life first so it can give our money direction. We don't want our money to define our life. That's why the, the quote that you defined at the top of the hour was great, because we do want to stop and define what our life's design is. What is our blueprint? We have to stop now and say, okay, what is it that we want to do aspirationally? What do we want to do? How do we want to go about it? What is that? So we can engage because if we engage and that is defined, then we've walked into our money life at that point. What is it or how does it feel if we're constantly reacting and recovering to money to where our life is defined from that reacting, recovering to the money and, and it's in reverse? You see, that doesn't feel very well. That's the key. And so that's where the concurrent came from then the moniker of life, money, balance. And therein lies the process. And it goes right into the process of, you know, financial planning and it's just in the process of the firm and the client. So I want to go into the, that process of money, life, balance. Before we do that, for yourself, you use the word aspirational a few times, which I think is really applicable is that this parallel lines, I think it's an aspirational goal to make sure that they as parallel as possible, but life happens and there's ups and downs. If we can go into a bit of Preston's story, if you are willing to share, have your lines always has been congruent as you desired? Or have there been some bumps along the way? 
Well, yes, absolutely. They, you know, they, they have intersected and it doesn't feel good. And we have to break them back apart and get them back alignment. Life is not linear. We, we do have bumps in the road. And then when lines do get crossed, then we have to have an adjustment. There's no judgment. It's kind of like having a front end alignment on your car. You feel it pulling a little bit. You know, you're on the road and you're like, oh, man, the front end alignment is it's pulling a little bit. And you got to get it. You got to get it adjusted a little bit. Yeah. So that's what you do. You're just getting an alignment. And, you know, and I don't judge my car when that happens. So why am I judging myself? Right. You just take it in. You get it aligned. Right. Because that's that's the life cycle of a car. So it's the life cycle of your life as well. You just get an alignment because that doesn't feel good when you're on the road and you have to, you know, and it takes work to pull that car back into the middle of the road, too. Right. So you want to get it performing well and so you can feel better. You want you want those perceptions, that well-being feeling right, you know, the drive of that car. So anyway, that's what it's why. So to answer your question, yes, there have definitely been some points across my life, no question, which has influenced the empathetic points of my life to be able to perform, you know, my duties as an instructor, as a researcher, as, as a financial planner, to listen to those of who I instruct or coach or plan for, and then translate that into the plan. That brings down that barrier of of judgment and all that and allows me to receive information from someone and also help them translate into that a plan. But also when a person may not be consciously able to unlock what they want to unlock and it's in their subconscious, maybe I'm able to have some tools to maybe help them unlock that. And there's also tools out there to help them unlock those. Rick Kaler has, has an exercise with called the money egg that helps us. We'll get into that. That's, it's a great exercise to, to answer your question again about stories of my own, because I've used the money egg exercise not only on myself, but on clients as well as tasks to identify those points, those high and low points of my life that have identified my relationships with money. You know, those points to where, and I, and I wrote a couple of down. Funny you should ask, because I wrote a couple down. It was one time where when I came out of undergrad school, and I did fairly well coming out of undergrad with a, a small school loan because I went to community colleges, that and the other. And I did fairly well. I had a small loan, small, like $10,000, I think it was. I didn't pay that off as quickly. And I wasn't necessarily being harsh on myself, but I let that go for like eight or nine years where I really could have, you know, maybe gotten that off the books a little quicker. But when I was just out there just doing willy nilly. I could have probably cut that off down in about three or four years. I didn't have to do it immediately. But look, looking back on it, there was some misalignment there. There was another instance where it was a longer period. And I've spoken about this before. I'll go on a little bit more detail, like in a book or something one day. But I call this the fog years, anywhere between like 28 and 35. Really, I was doing professionally well, Sean. But there was these fog years where inside I had some inner turmoil that I was fighting. And... I spent a lot of years self-medicating and spent a lot of time trying to fill gaps inside. I spent a lot of money doing that. That was a seven-year gap, Sean, that yes, there was a lot of misalignment there. And although professionally I was doing somewhat okay, I was doing okay from the outside looking in, there was a lot of stuff I left on the table. I wasn't maximizing myself. So you hear me now saying what my messaging is, is like, 
one of the things that was hurting me most during that time and then the aftermath necessarily wasn't the self-medicating. It was the leaving on the table. It was the lack of maximizing oneself. That's why I talk about aspiration a lot. You picked up on that word is because it's about the opportunity to maximize oneself. Isn't it great to have the gratitude to maximize the opportunities of oneself daily? So when you say, when you ask me, and I appreciate you asking, yes, there are those times, there's many of them to where those, you know, those parallel lines are intersecting. But if we can just get an alignment and have that life's design, that life's course, maybe those lines stay parallel a lot more constantly if that design is set out a little earlier. That's what I'm talking about right there. Thank you for that. And, and a couple of things that I, I just want to make an observation on is number one is that as you go back and talk about your experiences, I, it just seems like you do it with a sense of grace or compassion, which I guess goes to your point of no judgment earlier, which I think, you know, is so important that we don't give ourselves try. I mean, it might not be always possible to limit all of it, but as compassionately or empathetically as possible when you go back and do this work, like with Rick's exercise, which would be great for you to expand on. That was the first thing I observed. And I appreciate you opening up and saying these things because on the surface, like if I read your bio, you have a PhD, you're a professor, you're a financial planner, and you're a researcher. On the surface, one could think like this guy's never made a mistake. So I just appreciate you sharing that you are, in fact, a human being. I take those moments, Sean, and I appreciate you saying that is because in many of the in the success books, oh man, there's so many, right? <laughs> to say, oh man, the success bios and this and that, and we read them and everybody's quoting them to death. You know, the cool thing to now is right, the tweet and all this, the quotes, the quotes, everything is just everybody's successful, right? And when you read these bios or you read these success books, there's about eight pages, maybe, of 150 or 200 that talk about the buildup or maybe the and eight pages. And, you know, I'm just bringing the number out of yeah, my yeah. head, but it's a very, yeah. very short amount that talk about the, the trials and it's very glossed over. It does send that message that where is the realness? Where is those mirror moments? where you do pass in those mirrors and you say, you know, with those mornings where it's tough, those days where it's tough when you look at it and you're looking at yourself or you have those moments with your family or your loved ones or you're having to pick yourself up. They're not just those fail up, quote unquote, moments. you know, those cliche things where we go, we're fail up, we're failing up, you know. No, they're way, they're way deeper than that. I promise they are. I promise they are. They're not just fail up moments. They're way past the cliche stuff. Yes. Okay. So I appreciate you pointing that out. So I like to share those things because they're moments of testimony, but they're also saying, listen, you can get past those too. Not just, and they're not just bootstrap stories either. I want to get that clear as well. Yes. You have to have the willingness to get you come out of those moments. You have to have the, the willingness. It's just not willpower. It's willingness. Can you expand on that? I like that. Can you just elaborate on what the difference of willpower and willingness Yes, you have to have the want to, because if you don't have the want to, then you can have all the support from your family, you know, your significant other resources and all that, you know, access to funding and all that type of stuff that you want to, to get you out of something or just elevate you. You don't necessarily have to be coming from a, a negative space. You can come from a positive space because you have to have to do the hard work. But willpower and hard work is just not it. So just having willpower that's just not going to cut it. 
you have to have other things, other factors, just like hard work. All you have to do is just hard work. That's it. <laughs> That's a myth as well. You have to have other factors. So anyway, I like sharing those. So thank you for picking that, picking up on that, because those are just stories of testimony. But it also says that as long as you have the willpower and the willingness to get through along with other support systems to accept that, to admit where you are and acknowledge how you feel. I call it the ah moment. Admit where you are, acknowledge how you feel so you can take action. And this goes into planning as well. Okay, have that ah moment so you can engage in your financial plan. Admit where you are, acknowledge how you feel so you can get to the action. Now we're ready to get into that, to that life cycle planning moment. But that's what it's all about. You know, we have to get to that healthy self, you know, honest self audit in order to get to there so we can get to the good. Yes. Oh, wow. So you mentioned Rick's and I had Rick on, I can't remember what episode, but it was a great conversation. And, but you mentioned his exercise. And I think that's, you know, that's a good exercise to start peeling back some of the past feelings around money. Can you share the exercise that you alluded to? Yes. The money egg. Yeah. Shout out to Rick too. That's my dude right there. Love me some Rick Caleb. So the money, the money egg exercise is walking you through your earliest money memories. All right. And your money emotions, Sandra Davis who is the motivational interviewing queen and coaching and getting you in touch with your emotions and getting you started with your audit, getting you through with your audit, Sandra Davis. So shout out, but uh, the money egg, you're walking you through your, your life starting from the beginning, middle and to the present. And what it does is it's a combination of a psychology exercise and blending it with money. And I think it was Kaler and the Clances that were doing this. And what you do is you take your offhand not your dominant hand. You take your off hand and you draw uh, stick figures of this memory. All right. And you're not trying to be an artist. And the reason why you take your off hand and draw it because you're trying to be free with it and not try to have a barrier of expression and just be free with your memory. And you, you draw these positive or negative memories. All right. All the way up from earliest middle to the present. Then you're going to go back and draw, take your, your dominant hand and draw a sign. Was it positive or negative to each of these pictures? All right. Then you're going to have a word. And then you're going to have your top three and your top four. Or excuse me, your top three uh, positive and your top three negatives. Okay. And you're going to write a sentence about each one of these. Describe, you know, what this meant to you. You know, like, what did you learn? A lesson learned. And then you're going to summarize what this exercise, you know, meant to you. What did you learn about your money relationship journey up to this point? All right. And what this exercise is supposed to do is supposed to reveal or help you reveal your money relationships. What can you elevate and what can you take out or help to work on so you can move forward in your money journey, your life money journey at that? Because not only is it just financial, the technical part of it, because some of your money attachments, your money emotions could be hindering you from advancing on your life money journey. But there's some things, some tools could be helping you, could be identified to elevate your life money journey. But also too, it's not only the technical, it's the emotional. So maybe we reveal something that we need to uh, take care of first or address, not necessarily take care of, but address on the emotional side. Then we get to the finances. So all of this, all of this is a, is a revelation and an understanding of oneself. I uh, spoke of the conscious and the subconscious. Mm -hmm. 
right? Sometimes we, we know what we know, and sometimes we know what we don't know, or we don't know what we don't know. So by going through this exercise, maybe we go through this thing called Arsenio Hall, if that people can remember. So some people remember this reference, some people won't. But Arsenio Hall back in the day, he used to kick off the show. He used to say, things that make you go, hmm. And uh, maybe, maybe this exercise would say, ah, oh, you, know, you know, maybe I'm carrying that with me. Maybe that has something to do with this. Let's talk about it. You know, let's unpack that. I didn't know, right? Or maybe if two people do this, it identifies, oh, you know what? I didn't know that you went through that. Oh, so that's what that means when you say that. And then I'm saying this. You know, so that's a relational thing, maybe, right? Two different perspectives. Okay, now we can talk about that. See, that's unlocked then just by one exercise because two perspectives have been revealed or something that is a positive moment, like a savings thing. Okay, well, yeah, okay, I bought this car or whatever and I did it this way because my, you know, my grandfather or my grandmother did it this way and this was a positive moment in my life, okay? And now I'm buying this appliance or big ticket item now and I did it positively this way. Oh, so maybe that's where I got, hmm, hmm. That's where I may have gotten that from. So this is a type of exercise. And then it says when we're identifying those top three, you know, positives and top three negatives, right? And it says, particularly when you write out how I felt about that moment, it does say, okay, well, how did I feel about that? One of my favorite questions that I ask clients and also students and, and whatnot, so I can get their feedback on it, is like, tell me a money moment in the last six months that you didn't like, that you would like to have a do-over, what would you do differently? And how, how did you feel about it? Now, I know people don't like question after question, but if you, if you deliver it like that and you chop it up and you pause, then it's not a, a multi-question. If you give it a little pause like that, then somebody can handle it. They're like, oh yeah, this happened to me. I was given some stock options or something. I didn't understand them. I did this or something or whatever the thing is. I didn't feel good about that. I missed out or I didn't make the call or something like that. I wish I'd have done something differently or, you know, I was given some money or whatever that may be. They're going to tell you how you feel. Okay. So that money egg exercise, it may be something in life. Remember you asked me, you know, when there was a time where my lines were crossed, there's going to be a time. Yes. Here's where I had an issue. I wish I would have done something different. I had a little bit of regret there. It didn't make me feel too good. I don't want to do that again. So now here I am designing my life's blueprint. Now we're back at that again. Let's go forward and do something different. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And you know, the, the designing the blueprint and you're bringing in some psychology here. And I know that you use psychology in your financial planning practice. And it's just so interesting that this is kind of a, all percolating my brain right now. You talked about willpower and you can't just will yourself into, you know, if you don't believe it or understand what's motivating your thoughts and feelings. I think it's so important that it's difficult to design that blueprint if you don't go back and examine these old feelings like you talked about through the money egg to design that blueprint. Because if I can't acknowledge or understand what's making me stuck, willpower is only going to take me to a certain degree. Then I'm going to be like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't I design this blueprint I want? And I feel like what you just described helps us better understand ourselves so that we can open up and be like, oh, okay, this is why this is happening. And this is what I actually want. And that leads me to 
I know you use psychology in your planning. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about using psychology in your plan? And then I want to go to values and identifying values, but anything else around psychology and financial planning that you find useful utilizing with your clients? Well, yeah, financial psychology, just to kind of put a nice little bow on it in a nutshell is those are the inputs that we're looking for to keep the plan alive because we are alive. Our plan is alive. Our life, we're trying to have this plan address our whole life cycle, the changes, the flexibilities. We're trying to have it mirror who we are and what we are to become. And in order to have some of the words that you're about to ask about the values, the beliefs, how, you know, the behaves, the systems, all of that, we have to learn all that. And for those to say, well, you know, this is too touchy feely and all that type of stuff. This, all that type of stuff. The financial planning process was built for this, by the way. Yeah. It's in there. It's in step two. You know, <laughs> you have to learn about your client, the values, attitudes, and beliefs and whatnot. It's in there. Yeah. And the more that you, that you can unlock these things and, and uncover and reveal and have these discussions and have the client, your client engage with themselves and walk themselves into their own design, you will have a client for life because they're understanding their life and their money concurrently, right? Because they're working in the same, because now their aspiration, everything is growing at the same time. So this is why the financial psychology of, of it all is important. And it's the fuel, because then it fuels the numbers. And then people are like, okay, you're doing all this emotion and all this type of stuff. Well, when are you going to tell me about the numbers? When are you going to tell me how to roll over my this? And when are you going to tell me about how to do the charitable transfer and this, that, and the other? I said, I can do that all day. But until I understand all this other stuff, I can get complex on you all day long. Trust me, I can give you all the charts and the numbers and all that type of stuff. As they say now, you know, you don't want that smoke. You don't want that smoke because I can give you some numbers and jargon all day long, you know. That's why the financial psychology is important. And, you know, I appreciate that about your planning because we can really make ourselves sound smart as planners and step in and give them that smoke and talk about all these sexy things that we can do with their money. But if the implementation is not there, you know, it's arguably what's the point of saying all this stuff. And I think that's where the psychology comes in. So I appreciate that about your planning. And I want to be mindful of our time and I have two more questions. And the, the next one is kind of going in alignment with what we're saying, building that blueprint congruent now to values. So values is this thing where the self-help world, know your values, live them, put them on your wall. And so I find that we find ourselves in a situation where maybe we're very incongruent where we just don't know what our values are and we're aspiring to have that parallel line, but we just don't even have an idea unconsciously where, what our values are. So there could be some work there. But then there's also this other side where I read a tweet or we read a quote that says, know your values, and I plaster them on the wall. But if I peel back the layers, they really were, my mind may have been infiltrated or influenced from all these external pressures. Like, this is what my values should be. So here they are. So that perhaps is a lack of awareness of oneself, which the psychology side helps out. My question is, how have you best seen... It could be yourself through your research with your clients for people to actually have authentic values. And there's a philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, and he said like authenticity was fundamental to the notion of freedom and living a meaningful life. And why that resonates with me is I feel like this authentic values really helps us create this meaningful life or to use the word used earlier as well-being. So have you seen ways, could be yourself, clients, research, 
that people can align themselves more with their authentic values versus the values we think we should be living? Yeah, you know, this is a good research question. I'd like to dig it. Thank you. I'd like to dig into this a little bit, dig into this. And how how do we operationalize this? I can say personally and even professionally, we are inundated with noise. We were kind of talking this pre-show with algorithms and social media and the like. And we're permeated with this, all this data, this influence to try to shift us into different things. Now, Information is good when we are trying to elevate knowledge, you know, to gain knowledge, actual knowledge in order to grow. That's good. And sometimes it's actually good to actually grow and expand a value system because something that has been a value in the past may not have been a correct value, you know, not a correct value by somebody's perception, something that we've been taught that may not have been a correct quote unquote value. But if there's something innate like integrity or that type of value, truth telling or, you know, truth belief, some, some sort of, maybe if it's, it's an intangible value, you know, how to love someone or empathy, caring, compassion, you know, these type of values, self-care, melancholy moments, you know, these values, caring for others, these values, you can feel that. And sometimes there's no measurement for that, Sean. You know, sometimes there's no measure for that. Some things are not always meant to be measured. And we're always trying to measure things a a lot. You know, we're trying to quantify things. And sometimes there's not a quantification. Sometimes there's what you call a mirror test. Can you look yourself in the mirror, you know, there were some days to where I didn't look in the mirror because I knew what it would say back to me. I'd avoid it. I'd, I'd actually walk past the mirror and not look in it because my lines were crossed. My value system was against my fundamental value. That's one of those tests that's unquantifiable, okay? As far as getting inundated with data and algorithms and things, are you searching for affirmation all the time? When you have a belief, are you always checking to see if somebody affirms what you are thinking by going to all the threads? Then the hour has gone past trying to seek out what everybody is somebody on your side. And then the hour and a half has passed. That is a lack of a value system. Those are things sometimes are not a quantifiable, but those are things that can be rectified. You know, you can take back your time. Same thing with your financial goals your life money goals, your life money balance. What are your goals? What are your aspirations? What is your family household aspirations? What do you want to do? What are your perceptions? You know, your satisfaction levels, your utility levels. Focus on that. My dad always had this analogy. He said, I still does. He's still alive. He has this analogy about, you know, putting on blinders on horses. You know, we, we, you know, we know that to keep them focused. That was kind of a, just a, a commentary or basis there, but uh, I hope I kind of answered that just a little bit. You did. I really appreciate that answer. And what I like about it is it's a real answer. You didn't read me a definition of finding authentic values. So the more stories we hear of people sharing what you just shared, or the more people become authentic towards what they believe, I think we all can then look inside ourselves and see what that means or how it resonates to us versus you just given a definition. So I really appreciate that answer. 
And it makes me think of something that I was going to ask you, but I thought we'd run out of time. We have a bit of time. Your answer, it links to it. You mentioned quantify and self-care. In a world that is like hyper-focused on becoming more productive, we have all these hacks to use your time better, time management tips. Like efficiency seems to just rule everything. And if you're efficient, it's a key to success. It almost makes us feel like, and you said leisure earlier, but you also talk about some leisure activities on your website that I, I picked up on. But it almost feels like at times in a world consistently bombarding us with efficiency and productivity that we shouldn't just do self-care to use the word you use or we shouldn't engage in leisurely activities that aren't being efficient to our future self. At times, I feel like there's this narrative. So based on your life story, your experiences, why, if at all, is leisure important to you? And more specifically for you, why do you choose writing poetry, taking a hike, your vinyl music collection? Maybe just explain this idea of leisure and what it means to you, because I really do feel that we have this pressure to always be productive. Don't listen to music, listen to a podcast so that you get build better, like your better future. But the only time we have now is now. Yes, I need to do better with that. I think that's BS, actually, that we always have to be producing something at all times. I think we should be maximizing ourselves because, you know, we have an opportunity to draw breath, you know, but sometimes uh, maximizing yourself is whatever your faith may be, you know, just worshiping, being here, taking the time to read something, read something other than your profession or whatever it is, you know, read something to gain perspective, take something in, write a letter, have a melancholy moment. I took a pause there on purpose. Enjoy silence. Have a moment. Take a walk. No talking. Enjoy being in a room with someone where you don't have to speak. Write something out. Think. That's why I like poetry, because you're in tune with your spirit. Being in tune with your spirit is key. Resting, not necessarily sleep, but rest. I like doing puzzles, you know, because it allows you to think. You know, when we say exercise, you know, we're just working your body. Just, you know, I, you know obviously I need to do a little bit better than that. But it, that's just a regimen. You know, just doing something. No, you don't always have to be productive. I need to have my pops out on a, on a podcast or something here. So he said something that was very funny about a couple of years ago. He said, um, you know, the world goes on. He said, Michael Jackson's been dead 10 years. The point of that is that if somebody is whomever you want to put in that space, you know, whomever that's, you know, you consider this phenomenally great person or being, whomever it may be, the world keeps going on. So this myth that we have to be productive to a point to where, you know, we have to exhaust ourselves and exert ourselves so much, the world keeps going on. No matter how much you do, you know, nobody moonwalks better than Michael Jackson. <laughs> You know, nobody, everybody on earth know who that person is. You can go to the middle of the jungle and everybody knows the thing <laughs> on Moonwalk, you know. But here we are 15 years later, you know, and the world keeps going on. What are we talking about? So you do have to take a pause, you know, and get in tune to what is it in the here and now. Look up at the sky. I just took a break and um, traveled outside the country and I, I just came from, you know, this place, Sister Bay, Wisconsin. I really just took a time to really look at the sky. I traveled in the car without listening to the music and I love music. I just wanted to be at peace, Sean. Mm. So no, we don't have to always be at productive all the time. And we need to get better at that too. And, and give ourselves permission to do certain things to be more present and take the time. 
I really appreciated that answer. And I was prepping for this last night and I, it made me think of this productivity, this question. And this morning uh, I went for a run and I'm usually timing myself. I very ego driven signed up for a full Ironman, which was canceled yesterday. So I shut my watch off, didn't even wear my watch to time how fast I'm running. And I'm always listening to a podcast. I put on, I don't know why I want to, Stevie Wonder. And it was because I was reading your thing about leisure. It made me think about just go for a run to run. And it was amazing. Usually I'm listening to like a podcast and I'm like thinking, and it was just, it was misty and cold here in Canada. So I appreciate you helping to use a word that you've said all throughout the conversation is to engage me to be in leisure. Yes. It's hard to do especially for those driven folks. I'm one of them. It's hard to do, but we have to aspire to do it a little bit more often. Well, I guess the only person who can help us engage more in that leisure time is if we take a look at the man in the mirror. That's right. Michael Jackson. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Good thank stuff. you so much for your time. I really appreciated our conversation and I look forward to staying connected. Yes. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it.